Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Well, good morning, church. If you will, please open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. The passage, we're going to look at a few different passages uh, this morning, but I can honestly, it's, it's gotten better with every service, but I can honestly stand up here and tell you that I have never been this nervous to give a message in my entire life. And I was thinking about this last night, I was talking with my wife about this, and I was, I've, never, I've never been voted on before, this is the first for me, but I remember that that's not true, because when I was a senior in high school, some of my buddies on the golf team, as a joke, submitted my name so that I could be voted for, for like prom king. I didn't even come close to getting that, but you know, the, the, the stakes were pretty low back then. And so I, I've never felt this nervous to give a message because I feel like I'm almost preaching to like convince all of you that you like check yes in that ballot. And I know that's not necessarily true, but I, I just want to stand up, stand up here and tell you that that what I want to be talking about today really is, is just expressing how the Lord has carried Veto and I through this whole process. Um, Veto just had to leave. We, we, def- I definitely, we definitely brought Mateo out here just so you could see how cute he was, maybe gain a little bit of sway for the voters. I don't know. <laughs> but um, she has to go feed him and you know, keep him alive and stuff like that. So she, had, she, had to, she was here the 9 o'clock service, but... Um, what, what I had planned on doing, normally what we do with the student ministry, in the student ministry, uh, we go through different books in the Bible, and so what, what I tend to do, especially when we have our youth service, if you've been around here for the last several years, um, when we have our youth service, we usually, you know, a bunch of stuff is going on, and then whatever I preach on coincides with what we've been discussing in our student ministry. And so normally that is what I do, and for the last few weeks, I was planning on teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about all of Paul's sufferings and all the things that he had to go through and how he just kept on going, even in the midst of all of the hardships and struggles that he had to go through. And I was going to kind of tie that in with what the Lord's been doing. But yesterday, yesterday morning when I was sort of sitting down to really sort of finish how I was going to give my teaching this week, and I really felt compelled by the Lord to kind of go in a different direction. And so... Um, I felt provoked to instead just talk about how the Lord has been guiding Veto and I through this process, how he's carried us. And in the passage that we're going to be looking at today in 1 Timothy chapter 5, along with some others, but particularly this passage has been a very big theme in my life for the last five and a half years since I started as the student director here at the church. And um, that'll make sense. But I want to start um, by first looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you just want to follow along as I read, you don't have to necessarily open up your Bible there. Um, I wanted to read this passage from chapter 10, verses 15 through 18. It's very, it pertains very strongly to really the season of life that I feel like I'm in with, with, with Beto and with our family. Um, Paul is telling the church in Corinth, We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases... 
So again, Paul is charging the Corinthians. He's saying, but as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you. Because it's never just about where the Lord has put you. We see this, that when Jesus, in his last words before he ascends up into heaven, after he fulfilled his ministry by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the grave, as he is standing before a group of disciples and they ask, when are you coming back? When, is, when, is, when are all these things going to be fulfilled? Jesus says, no one knows the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was telling them, you're going to be witnesses, you're going to be really martyred, you're going to be killed for the faith, you're going to suffer and you're going to have to endure, but you're going to have to work for the kingdom of heaven, first starting in where God plants you. But it's never just about there, because God's mindset has always been, since creation, God's mindset has always been for all nations. So he says, first in Jerusalem, we could say El Paso, then Judea, Texas, Samaria, maybe, I don't know, the United States, and then to the ends of the earth. So it's never just about where you are. Our mindset should always be, yes, that we need to grow. We need to, wherever the Lord has planted us, we need to invest. We need to to labor and, and to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, wherever we've been planted. But it's never just about that simple little context where the Lord has you. It's always expanding. And he goes on in 2 Corinthians, so your area may be greatly enlarged, that we preach the gospel in the lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area, in another's area of influence. And then he says this, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Several weeks ago, Travis North taught in our student ministry, and and I'm going to kind of follow in suit with what he did. I think a lot of what we're going to be looking at today is really just going to be me boasting in what the Lord has done. You're like, that sounds, that sounds kind of audacious and arrogant, Drew. Look, 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 look what Paul says. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's the one who the Lord commends. And in this context, Paul is addressing these super apostles. He's being very sarcastic. A good modern vernacular for our, in our understanding in the way that Paul is talking about these super apostles the way that he uses that, we, we kind of could think of it as being super duper. Like he's being very sarcastic about these people, these men who are commending themselves because of their elegant speech and how articulate they are and, and, and their knowledge that just seems so lofty and incredible and, and the way that they talk, the way that it makes people feel, it makes them feel so good. Um, a few months ago, we, man, I don't even know, this is a long time ago, we talked about uh, the American Gospel. It's this documentary that's on Netflix and it focuses on all these really false leaders, false teachers, false churches that are infiltrating the world, basically, and, and, and the way that they have gotten people, hook, line, and sinkers, with this, this idea that the more that you seek the Lord, the more that you, the more that you give to the Lord, the more, that, the more faith that you have, that means you're going to have more wealth, more health, more prosperity, all those things. And, and, and these, these super apostles were saying kind of similar things, things that just made people feel good, but they didn't have actually anything of substance that coincided with the truth. And so Paul, in, in saying all of this, is like, look, these guys may look like they're pretty high up there, pretty commended, but let's just be clear about this. The one who has been commended is only because the Lord has commended him. The one who, who, the one who is able to boast should only boast because they are in the Lord. 
So let anyone who boasts, boast only and, and under no other name on heaven and on our earth, but Jesus Christ, let, let your boast only be in the Lord. And he goes on all the way to chapter 12. He says, I've had this thorn in my flesh, this weakness that the Lord has allowed me to have so that through my weakness, his power may be perfected. Right? And we see that the, that the reasons that we have to boast in the Lord can never be attributed with how great and awesome and cool and good that we are at things. Anything that we could describe as that is really from God, and it's for God. Amen? And so I want to talk about that. This passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, um, when I first started five and a half years ago, I think it was a conversation I was having with Mike. I'm not really sure. Um, might have been Scott Burns. I really don't remember. I don't think it's important. I think the point of this conversation, though, is it was brought up to me like, Drew, you need to be patient, okay? You need to be patient, and this process might take a while, and the thing is, is you just need to go through the process. And, and I can say at the beginning, I was, I was fine with that. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I grew up, you know, I was a senior when I started coming to this church in high school. And um, that, y- y'all just saw Veto. She's my wife now. But then she was not, obviously. And, and I wanted her to be my girlfriend. I, I thought she was, like, really pretty. And I started talking with her before our, right before our, our senior year started. I kind of reconnected with her. We went to, we went to Franklin High School together. And... Um, I saw her at this like homecoming like paint party deal. We were making signs for homecoming. It's not important. And, and I was like, hey, Veto, how was, your, uh, how was your summer? And she's like, oh, I went to India. And I was like, what? I, so I grew up going to First Baptist Church, El Paso downtown. And so Veto's like, yeah, I was in India. And I was like, why were you in India? That's incredible. And she's like, I was on a mission trip, actually. And I was like, what? A mission, like, like a part of, you're part of a church? He's like, yeah, I, got a, I go to Coronado Baptist Church. And I was just like, really? I was like, are you serious? That's amazing. Like, if, you know, I grew up in a Baptist context. I was like, check. She's a, she went on a mission trip. Check. She's a Christian. Check. She goes to a Baptist church. And, and then she was like, you know, at the time, you know, the, the uh, first Baptist church was going through some changes. And my, my family was kind of thinking about maybe looking to other churches. And I was like being really extra. Like, no, we have to stick with our family. When it's a hard time, and my parents are like, okay, that's fine. And then Veto invites me here, and I was like, sure thing. I'll go, come right over there. And, 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 my, and my senior year in high school is when I started getting involved in this ministry. It's when I met Mama Luce, or Karen, sorry, Karen Luce. We all call her Mama Luce. She's been helping the student ministry for like 12 years now. It's amazing. That's when I met Murray Van Gundy. It's when I, it's when I met a lot of my closest friends that I have to this day. And, and, and from that point on, and Murray poured into my life. He invested, he invested in me. He started discipling me. And then when the time came when I, was being, when I was being considered, and I'd like to say that I was just the standout best candidate for people that were considered for this job, but the truth was is that everyone else withdrew their names for consideration. And I was just kind of like, we good? We're good to go? Cool. And um, you know, I was told, you know, you're going to have to be patient. This is going to be a process. There's going to need to be some time where you learn some things and you need to go through, you need to go through, you're going to have to go through the trenches and you're going to have to learn some hard lessons and you're going to need to get some experience and and a lot of maturity. I'd like to stand up here and tell you that I'm like a fully formed, mature, but Paul, you know, Paul said, Philippians 3, he's like, I have not already arrived. He's like, but I continue to press on and make it my goal, which is my upward call in Christ Jesus. And so I can stand up here and tell you that I've, I've not arrived anywhere, so to speak, and that the, the notion and the idea of me being voted on is really intimidating for me. And I think it's, there's a lot of reasons that, that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but, but, but we see Paul 
charging Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And if you're kind of confused with this whole laying on of hands idea, it was really, really special for, for my family and I. Um, I had a lot of my family that were here in October of 2018 and Veto and all of the elders. And I, it, was, it was a very special time for me. I was able to be ordained into gospel ministry in this church. And, and, and I shared a little bit of what I'm going to kind of share again this morning. And, but this idea of the laying on of hands is basically by committee, like a group of overseers, elders, people who have been commissioned by God to lead a church. In effect, it's, like it's, a, it's, it's symbolic, but laying, the hands, laying their hands on someone and praying over them, basically charging them in the presence of the church to say, we affirm and believe together as the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit has commissioned this man to be involved in gospel ministry as a leader. And that was a very humbling call for me. And it, it, it was a call that I, you know, I'd like to say that I live up to perfectly, but there's been a lot of failure. But what I can tell you with 100% assurance and confidence that thus far, the only thing that has allowed Veto and I can, to continue through this is the grace of God. God's grace continues to carry us through this. And we believe that he will, by his grace, by the power of his spirit, he will continue to carry us through this. So Paul tells Timothy, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Because there needs to be time. There needs to be time. Why do you, why do you say there needs to be time? Look, look at verse 24 with me. Get there. It says, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Verse 20. Verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. To simplify this, basically what Paul is saying is, is it's, it's some things that are sin are easy to hide, but it's going to come out at some point. And some things that are good works, maybe they're not super evident, but the fruit of those good works is eventually going to come out. It's going to become evident. So do not be hasty in the laying on of hands of people to commission them and just put them in positions of leadership because time will reveal the true nature of where this person is at. And again, I think this is another aspect of my insecurity in being voted on is, is that it's been an incredible last like 10 years that I've been doing ministry and 12 years at this church. But I've gotten so close to a lot of you that, and I know a lot of you in here have, have seen my flaws. You've seen me make mistakes. You've seen me um, do things when I was not at my best. But I can still stand up here with confidence and know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ continues to carry me. If you will, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I was talking about Veto, when, when she invited me to this church, that whole year I asked her to be my girlfriend three times. And why, the reason why I asked her three times is because she kept saying no, right? And, um, you know, like the, the first time, you know, I, I literally came to this church because I wanted to date Veto. That's literally the reason why I came to this church. Let's, be, let's just be real about that. And, but, quick, but quickly, I, you know, from my perspective then, I, I thought, okay, no, like this is, you know, pursuing Jesus, living for him, this is, really, this is really what it's all about. And then I'd feel like I got to that point, I'd be like, okay, now I'm going to ask Beto out because I am a fully formed, mature follower of Jesus Christ, right? And, and Beto's like, no. And I'm like, what? Seriously? And then I asked her out again, no. And then we went to college. I, did, I went on a DTS. Beto went to Baylor. Um, Pastor Mike mentioned this in the last service. Beto had a full-ride scholarship to Baylor, 
And then in the summer, she came to intern in the student ministry for Pastor Murray. And it was, it was her and Kevin Dorman who were like the first two people to intern for Murray. And it's really cool to see like the fruit of the leadership program over the last like 10 years. It's been really cool to see that. But she felt like the Lord was calling her to stay here in El Paso. And she gave up a full ride to Baylor to move, to stay here in El Paso, go to UTEP, and then minister to girls. And there's just been a ton of fruit from that over the years. It's like young single men in here, if you're looking for someone to knit your soul to, choose someone who is seeking the face of Jesus in a way that's really challenging you to do that as well. Married people in here, that's your main objective. That's your main objective as married people is to reflect the gospel. So I'm, I, I feel like what I'm doing is audacious because I'm basically charging myself in front of everybody to be a shepherd. But a lot of the calls that, that, that we see over, the, over a leader are really the same calls that we see in the life of any believer. Like, raise your hand if you're a husband in here. Your job as a husband, this is literally your primary job. First, First Corinthians makes this clear, actually, that the reason why it's better to be single is because your devotion is divided between your spouse and the Lord. And so really, as a husband, your primary job obviously is to glorify God, but as a husband, your primary job is to serve and love your wife and, and, be, and be willing to lay yourself down for her in a way that reflects Jesus Christ's actions and characteristics towards the church. That's your job. That's a high call. If that, if when you hear that, that doesn't put like a little bit of holy fear inside of you, then you're not really listening to that. And for, for men in here that are like, I love the idea of a woman submitting to me. That's only if, that is, that, that's in the context of being someone who carries the same characteristics of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming nothing. Being, being, made in the human, being made in human likeness, taking on the form of a servant. Willing to die a death. Not just any death, but a death on the cross. That's humility. And that's the call. But I was, I was pursuing Veto, and she, she didn't really care. And um, I know I've, you, you can feel sorry for me. It's okay. And, and uh, we, uh, you know, she stayed here, and I was supposed to go to Baylor. And then because I wasn't really paying very close attention to how my scholarship worked at Baylor, I took a class at EPCC, and it, null, it nullified my scholarship at Baylor. And I was like, well, I'm not going to spend $85 million to go to school. So I, I ended up staying here in El Paso also. And I was like, hey, the stars are aligned. Veto and I are both here in El Paso. Naturally, she's going to say yes this time. And she didn't. <laughs> and for seven months, which, you know, in hindsight is not that long of a time, but during those seven months, it was a long time. We didn't talk to each other. And I had to come to a place. I had to come to a place. I was, you know, my, my, my goals were to become an engineer, or a psychologist, something, whatever, a counselor, you know, have a successful career, get my kids through high school, maybe through college, and then possibly think about going to seminary. That was my, that was my plan. That, that was my, the only thing that I could tell y'all with, with, with honesty that, that I didn't stop pursuing for myself was Veto. <laughs> but the Lord didn't let me have her until I was willing to say, she's not what I need, Lord, you are. It came to a head when I was, I was praying, I was having a quiet time, and I, I was reading in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. This is my life verse. And the verse says, commit your work to the Lord, and he will establish your steps. 
This word commit literally means to roll over. It's this idea of, of having a load on your back and you're essentially just, you know, un- with the understanding that the Lord is right there and you're just rolling it over onto him. Commit it to the Lord and then he will establish your steps. In that moment, I was like, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm committing myself to you. Establish my steps. Do, be who you are and establish my steps. And I'm not kidding. That's a dangerous prayer to say. I'm not kidding. In 10 minutes, I get a call from Becky Prado. Y'all know Becky. She plays piano and is our music director here at the church. And then Pastor Murray called me later that day. And then the next day, I had a meeting with Becky and Murray where Becky asked me to come and lead worship on Saturday nights. And then Murray asked if I wanted to come on the leadership team. And then within like two or three weeks after that, I started dating Beto. It was awesome. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing we can clap for for sure, right? Okay, no. No, 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 and, and through, I know, it was an act of God. Pastor Mike just said that was an act of God, and it was. <laughs> it was for sure. Um, and through that whole season of, of dating and doing ministry, and then when Veto and I got engaged, we were called to another church, and that was a really hard season. It was really difficult, really challenging, very sanctifying. It was difficult, and we were really happy to leave that church, honestly speaking, and and, and then there was this period of time where I didn't have a real job, and I was just, I was finishing school and waiting to do something else. I was going to, my plan was to sell insurance, and, and right before I was going to start, like, taking my, you know, tests and stuff to get my certification to sell insurance, Murray, or uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Dan called me into the offices over there, and they said, Drew, would you like to be considered? And then y'all, you know, the rest is history, and, and I can say with confidence that this whole process has, has not at all been what I was seeking for myself. I had a lot of other plans. It's been the Lord who has organically carried us through this whole process. And because of that, because I know it's been the grace of God that's carried us this far, for that reason, and really for that reason only, am I confident to say that this is where the Lord has brought us to. If you look, if you look with me in First, First Peter chapter 5, Stevie read from this passage earlier. Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is a charge um, for for leaders, overseers, pastors, ministry leaders. If if you're in here and, and you have any kind of a you know, if you're really, if you're making disciples, I would probably even extend it to that. But this is a, a, a specific commission to leaders in the church. He's saying, he, he's saying, shepherd the flock that is among you. And how are we supposed to do that? As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And I was thinking about this when, and it really just keeps on hitting me really hard. And, and when Stevie was reading this earlier, I was thinking about this. How, how is it that God has called the shepherd to tend to his flock? If we're supposed to do this in a way that, that God would have us do it, I, the, only, the only sensible thing in my mind is to, consider, is to consider the good shepherd himself. In John chapter 10, we see Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. If you look at this with me in verse 14, John chapter 10, verse 14. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. And then in here, we're talking about how husbands, are supposed to, how you're supposed to love your wives, being, being willing to lay your lives down. This is the same charge that I hear when I'm reading this. It intimidates me, but man, do I feel burdened to do this. I can say that with confidence. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Um, I want to read this commentary from John Calvin that he says, John Calvin, the great reformer, he, uh, he has some pretty good words to share about this passage, but he says, the faithful pastor will, as an under-shepherd, display the same characteristics as the good shepherd. He will sacrifice for the sheep, know the sheep, and be known by them. He will be a shepherd and not a hireling who does not care about the sheep. He can never hope to display these characteristics to the same extent as Jesus. And I can, I can say that I don't, <laughs> I don't claim that I will be as good, at, as good at this as Jesus is. But nonetheless, they should reflect his heart and his goal. And I don't know any other way. I don't know any other way to set a goal out before myself but to, to emulate what Jesus Christ would do. And church, there's been a lot of failure. <laughs> I've had to learn a lot of hard lessons over these last five and a half years. I've had to deal with a lot of sin. I've been held accountable. But there's been a lot of fruit. There's been a lot of fruit. There's been a lot of rejoicing. There's been a lot, there's been a lot of tears. There's been a lot of anguish. These last nine months, I, I, we can all really relate to each other in this, how these last nine months of coronavirus have just been crazy. It's been weird. And I've experienced, I've, I've experienced all the emotions, I think. There's a lot of them. But I've, I've been frustrated. I've been angry. I've been confused. I've been sad. I've been happy, you know, all the good stuff too. This, even though this last year feels like, man, I kind of want to just get past this. It's been, it's been a sweet year for me too. And I'm just speaking for myself, and I'm sure all of you have things that you can attest that have just been great also in the midst of all this calamity. I've, my, my wife and I, we had a son. That was fun. We, we, uh, it's been hard, but it's been fun, you know, and um, we, we've had a lot of really awesome intimacy in our student leadership team because we haven't been able to do ministry the way that we were used to doing it. And so we had a lot of great fellowship, intimate community within our leadership team. The, the way that the student ministry has changed and grown this last, these last nine months has just been awesome. It's been, so, it's been so great to witness. It's been so awesome to watch. You know, I'm, I'm, I really am kind of sick of just talking about myself. Because this charge that I feel like the Lord's put on me, it, it doesn't, it's not just about me, but I can say with confidence that over these last nine months, my heart, my burden was extended beyond just the student ministry. I was, I was seeing that there was this lack of fellowship that the church hasn't been able to partake in. And my burden wasn't just for the students who were struggling, but it was really starting to expand to the entire congregation in a way that had never, I've never really felt before. A desire to see everyone, families and everyone from every age come together and, and worship the Lord together and be involved in true intimate community. And that hasn't really been able to happen the way that scripture says that it should because of the nature of what we've been going through. 
Through the, when, we, when we started the live stream and I was, I was able to, we were really able to put our heads together and kind of get creative and learn a whole lot of new things so that we could bring, at least bring the message to where you were at your homes. And for those of you at home, I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to tune in and that we're still able to have connection, even though it's like not how we wish that it would be, right? It's, I'm still so glad that we get to do this. But I want to make it abundantly clear right now that whatever you're voting for me on to be a, a, an associate pastor or a, a leader in this church or an overseer or whatever, the call that is on, on my life is the exact same call that is on every single person's life in here. And I don't mean that it's going to look the same, so don't mishear me. What we're called to do is the same. If you will, go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. In verse 11 and 12, we see Paul giving a specific charge to people who are designated to lead in a church. But before that, in verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul really addresses the entire body of believers. And him writing to the church in Ephesus in verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice that what Paul calls himself here, what Paul calls himself here is a prisoner of the Lord. That's strong language. And not considering the, the abundance of scripture that talks about how we are obligated to serve God faithfully and how he is Lord and we are not, just looking at Paul's writings alone, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are attributed to the relationship that Christians are supposed to have with Jesus. He's our Lord Master, we've been bought for a price. Our bodies are no longer our own. We've been talking about this in student ministry. If you're going to call Jesus your Lord, it's convenient and awesome and great to call him Savior because that means that we don't have to go to hell anymore. But to call him Lord suggests that what you're saying is, is that I'm obligated to do whatever it is that you tell me to do. To call him master means that it's my personal responsibility to be obedient to everything that it is that he's called me to do. Everything. And what Paul says here in verse 1 is, I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He makes the same, he makes the same exact, he expresses the same exact sentiment, same exact phrase twice in the book of 1 Corinthians to walk in the calling to which you've been called. And the calling that we've all been called to is to walk, this is in Philippians chapter one, is to walk in a manner that is worthy of, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not just pastors who are supposed to shepherd the flock in, in, a, manner, in, a, in a way where they're willing to give themselves up for people, where they're willing to give of their time, resources, their gifts. It's not just husbands who are called to love their wives and love their families in a way where they're willing to lay their, themselves down. What every single person, man and woman, children, if you're followers of Jesus Christ, single people, if you follow Jesus Christ, our charge is to live in a way that emulates the exact same characteristic of Jesus, being willing to put yourself down, being willing to sacrifice your own needs, being willing to sacrifice your own time, your own resources, and care enough about others so that the kingdom can continue to expand. This is a super convenient thing. We've talked about this with Pastor Mike. I mentioned this before. 
It's a super, super, super convenient doctrine to teach. It's false. It's a super, it's a lie though. It's a lie. To say that pastors, elders, people who are leadership in a church, their job is to do all that ministry stuff. And it's my job as a lay person. We're all God's royal priesthood. Read Peter's letters. We are all the royal priesthood. We've all been called to do ministry. It's so convenient to say, my job is just to, is just to you know, write a check and give it to the church and make a, make a seat warm for like 45 minutes to a couple hours every week, and, and then I'll let them do it. I mean, in church history, this is a convenient idea for both sides, because if that's true, the, the, the preacher, the pastor, the leader can say like, just listen to me. I will tell you what this means, and you don't have to read it for yourself. Just give money. Just keep coming. Just keep elevating me in a high place in your mind and in your heart, and I will do the rest. And it's also super convenient for the church if they believe that, because then they don't really have to do anything for the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what we have been called as the church is to walk as prisoners of the Lord. Slaves of righteousness. And I don't like that idea of being a slave, being a prisoner. Well, I can promise you this, that the most empowering, the most life-bringing, the most joyful thing that you will ever do with your existence is to live as a servant for the kingdom of heaven. After all, that's our point of existing is to glorify God with your entire being. That's just your reasonable act of worship is to, is to use your whole life as a living sacrifice. Like read Romans chapter 12. That's the proper, that's when we consider what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That's just like the proper response. If you're going to say, what should be the bare minimum that we should do as Christ followers when we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, live as a living, you know, be a living sacrifice unto the Lord in every single facet of your entire being. That's just the, the proper response. And for all of us that don't understand that, and I've failed at this, I've failed at the calling to which I have been called. I, I know that I have not walked in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ in every single thing that I've done these last five and a half years. Or for the last, you know, man, how long has it been? I guess 18 years since I became a Christian. I know that I have not been doing that. But, but all of us can say this in confidence with each other. Church, we can say this together in confidence, that it is the grace of God that continues to carry us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we need each other to do this. As we finish, if you will please go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I think a reason, I mean, we've been, we've been referencing this passage so many times. Earlier uh, this morning, after I finished my message in the 9 o'clock service, I had this really cool conversation with Eric Morgan, and he shared with me something about the original language in Greek that I'm excited to share with you guys about this verse. Um, but I was having a conversation on Thursday night with one of my students, one of my seniors, and it got a little heated, but it was, it was good. It was a really good conversation. It got a little heated. It got a little emotional, and it ended with just like this awesome time of prayer and this great conversation about revival. And it ended with both of us just being like kind of charged up by it. And, and so um, and I was thinking, I, I shared this last night, and I, I didn't share it last service, and I wasn't going to, but I want to now, so there you go. Um, you know, when I ask myself, like, what's the first thing I think of when I hear the word Revival. And when I really, when I thought about that, like yesterday morning, what, I, what came to my mind first and foremost is like, like a massive, like coming to God, like, you know, like the whole nation. And that, that happens, right? In scripture, we see the story of the worst missionary in the history of mankind, 
Jonah. He, he like went the opposite direction, was on a boat, got thrown off, was eaten by a whale, got thrown up, went to Nineveh, and literally, this is pretty much as like half-heartedly he did it. He was like, hey, if you don't repent, you're going to die. And like the whole city was like, oh, and they all repented. Like they all got saved. It's incredible. But, but I, I think the, rev- revival, the kind of revival you know, like when, when, in, when you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, true revival has to happen with prayer. It has to. Humbling yourselves and praying. And that's, that's what's going to lead to any kind of like positive transformation in, in the context that God's placed us in. Right? Read Nehemiah. That's incredible. Nehemiah prays. He'd never even been to Jerusalem. And then God uses him to lead an entire nation back into the favor of God. It's incredible. But there's this theme of revival that we see through Scripture, that true revival, I, I, I will promise you, church, we will never see revival in El Paso. We will never see revival in the United States. We'll never see revival anywhere else in the world for that matter until there is first revival in the church. Revival, after all, suggests that we're returning back to something. In Revelation chapter 2, we see Jesus addressing the church in Ephesus, which in fact is the same church that Paul told Timothy to lead in First and Second Timothy. He says to the church in Ephesus, look, I know your works. I know your, I know your toils. I know that you don't put up with, with, with false teaching. I know that you, that you only want sound doctrine. And that's good. In fact, you can't have a good church without good, good doctrine. Because then you don't know what you're supposed to really focus on. So without good doctrine, you don't, there is really no church there. But, this, but Jesus says, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Return, therefore, to the works that you did at first. Repent and do the things that you did at first. And that's, that is what God is calling his church to when we think about this concept of revival. When we ask God to bring revival, our prayer should be that God would revive us first and foremost. Because after all, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. And how can the church, how can a body be effective at doing what we've been called to do if we're not taking care of being the body? If we're not suffering with each other and rejoicing with each other, if we're not making it a priority to care about each other's needs, to meet with one another in Scripture, 59 times in the New Testament, we get this phrase, one another. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Eric Morgan was teaching me this this morning, that, that the word in Greek, stir up, the two parts of that word are to stand alongside something sharp. You're like, whoa, this is kind of weird. When he said that, I was just like, cool, thanks, Eric. And he was like, and we kept talking about that a little bit, and and, and he was like, Drew, in, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I was like, come on, Eric, preach to me, brother. That's awesome. And I was thinking about that conversation that I was having on Thursday night with, with that student. And afterwards, he asked me, Drew, can, can we not let this come in between us? And I was like, bro, this, this got us closer together, if anything else. And we, you know, we hugged it out. Sorry, I know it's COVID times. We hugged it out. And, but... um. I have to be honest, right? Um, and that's, that's really what this idea of stirring up one another is. You know, rejoicing and suffering with each other, it gets messy. Being involved in each other's lives, it's messy because we're messy. 
people are messy. Doing ministry for the last 10 and a half years, I've, I've dealt with a lot of messiness. And people that, that have known me and been involved with me, they've seen a lot of messiness. That's the beauty of it, is that as, as we stand alongside each other and we stir up one another, and even if it, it hurts and sparks are flying sometimes, we're doing that so that we can pursue love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And I think, thinking about these last nine months, and my prayer and my caution, my challenge to you, and I know, I know none of, none, I'm not talking, none of you are struggling with this, but the people that are struggling with this, right? But I know that people have gotten into the habit of not really putting much weight into being with each other. And like there's, what I'm not saying here is if you're not coming to church, like all those of you that are online, I'm not saying here, I'm not like, oh, you didn't come to church this morning. It's because you're scared. No, I don't believe, this, is a, this has been a serious thing. Millions of, millions of people have died. El Paso has been like a hot spot for this. There's a reason why we have you guys spaced apart and, and we're asking and requiring masks is because we don't, we don't want to take advantage of the fact that we do get to meet together in this state. We want to be, be good stewards of the people that God brings here and we want to protect, we believe all of those things. But as this thing is coming to an end and it seems like, and I hope that it is, dear Lord, we hope it's coming to an end. My caution, my challenge, my warning is that the habit of neglecting to meet together will be something that is going to be shaken off of us. Because our need to be together is what will help us fulfill the great commission with each other. One another, 59 times in the New Testament. We have to be with one another. And so if you vote on me today, my, my primary responsibility, I'll be the associate pastor of home groups and discipleship. My job, and I'm going to ask that you would pray for us as a church, that you would pray for all of the leaders, that you would pray for every ministry, pray for every member, pray over your own families, pray for yourselves. My task is to lead our church into hopefully developing and harvesting and, and really honing in on how we're going to have community and fellowship with one another. This year is going to be a lot of research. It's going to be a lot of time spent preparing, but the, the goal is that we as a church are going to get really good, and this is my prayer, that we're going to get really good at caring for one another and being with each other, having fellowship. And then when we come here together to worship, it's all about celebrating the Lord. It's all about lifting up His holy name, hearing from our shepherds at this church, teachings from the Word of God so that we can be charged up and then go out and continue to do the ministry together with each other. That is the point of the church. Look at this, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, or as you see the day drawing near. This is, this is a truth that has been like really exciting me over the last, like I don't know, like probably five or six years since I heard it. It's from Beth Moore. Shout out to Beth Moore for all of you that like Beth Moore. Um, she, was, she was talking about how the way that the end times work, like we're living in the latter days right now because you know, Jesus like the, the canon of scripture has been finished and the, the, last, the last few paragraphs of scripture talks about how we should have this eager expectation about his second return. But this is true. When, when we started this, this service at 11 o'clock, every second that is ticked by is one second we've gotten closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right now, Right now, we have never in history been closer to his return, which is why that's a charge for us to wake up. It's a charge for us to take up the, a personal 
mantle of responsibility that each of, that has been laid on each of us as his children, as followers of Christ, and say, okay, I'm going to care about the church. I'm going to care. I'm going to care about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to care about the gospel. I'm going to care about this great news that we have, this, this mysterious thing that the Lord opened my eyes up to. I'm going to care about the people that the Lord has placed in my context, in my workplace, in the classroom, wherever the Lord has called you. I'm going to care enough that, I, that I'm going to always remember that Jesus is coming back and I'm going to live for his glory because that is the point of our existence. Amen. And this is my. This is what I would. Lo- this is what I want you guys to understand as I enter in, prayerfully and hopefully into this season. My wife and I have had a lot of conversations, and these are things that I realize. Again, I don't claim that I'm going to live up to these perfectly, but these are things that I have made goals and that I realize. I realize that as a husband, my primary responsibility will be to my wife and to my son and my future children, not necessarily to this church. My wife and I have prayed a lot, and we've talked about this a lot, and we've, we've gone through a whole lot of rejoicing and, and heaviness, and, and we're like-minded in this. Veto and I are very like-minded in this. I have her support. God has carried us through all of this process. Despite my insecurity, we know that the Lord is the one who organically brought us through this whole process by his grace, through the power of his Spirit. I understand that the only way to be a shepherd that's consistent with the characteristics of Christ is if it's done with integrity and honesty. That's why I had Stevie read from Psalm chapter 15 earlier. If you didn't catch it, read that Psalm. It's really, it's just a charge to people. Like, hey, you want to be used by the Lord? These are characteristics that you should exhibit. I believe that Entering into this new season in our church, what the Lord has designated me with the team and with the other elders, with the other pastors, ministry leaders, and especially with the church. None of this happens without all of you being here. I believe that what he's calling us to do is to pursue a season of fellowship, of intimacy, of community that will hopefully, and I'm praying this will happen, that, that, that will lead this church into making an impact for the kingdom, producing fruit that we could have never even imagined beyond what we could have ever even asked for or imagined. So I'm going to ask that you would pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for me. Pray for Veto. Pray for my marriage. Um, your leader, as leaders, we're in positions, uh, we're, we're, in, we're targets. We're in positions where we're targeted. So we need you to pray for us. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to, to call me out if there's something that you see. If you hear me say something that doesn't coincide with Scripture, or if you see me acting in a manner that's not consistent with what I'm so passionately up here telling you guys, tell me. Because the goal is for all of us to stir one another up in love and good deeds as we see the day approaching near, not neglecting to meet with each other as some are in the habit of doing, but being with one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that as we pursue you, as we make it our aim to wait upon you, as we make it our priority to worship you. We know that that you empower us by your spirit. Lord, and we believe that in order for us to see revival, in order for us to see advancement, in order for us to see anything of value happen in the context that you've planted us in, there first needs to be revival in ourselves and there needs to be revival in your church. That's what we pray for. We pray that by your spirit, you would empower us, that you would renew our strength and that as we seek first your kingdom and righteousness, 
Lord, we know that you will provide everything that we need. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship, church.